Maybe we'll get some lawn stuff done. <laughs> oh, boy. Northern Michigan, we get used to the 40 degrees too quick, and then when it gets cold again, we're like, oh, no. You know, the Lord has a message for our time. And at this time of the year, I love to go and look at the videos on NASA going back to 1968 Christmas when NASA inadvertently proclaimed the first angel's message as the three astronauts, and I should know them by name, they orbited the moon 10 times. And if you look at the, I was probably three and a half, I don't remember, but um, I kind of remember the Apollo landing, but I was four years old, so it was just a you know, black and white TV with a fuzzy image, like what's the big deal? But now, if you look at Apollo 8, Christmas night or Christmas Eve night, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They read that. They read Genesis chapter 1. You read Genesis chapter 14, 6 through 12. Fear God, give glory to him. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Where were the astronauts when they were reading Genesis chapter 1? Orbiting the moon. They were in the heavens. Who were they talking to? People back on earth. They were proclaiming the first angel's message. They didn't even realize it. But they thought, what can we do? Before they launched, before they left, they said, we got to do something. And they thought, oh, should we read Shakespeare? Should we read, you know, some of the great writers? Maybe Lincoln. But then one of the astronauts' friends said, why don't you read Genesis? Genesis 1, he said, that would be profound. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One of the astronauts' wives had to go out to get something, and as she was driving home, she looked up at the moon and said, my husband's going around that thing. Can you imagine the vividness of that? One in, out of the whole planet, one in four people were tuned into that broadcast. If the Russians had gotten there, there is no God. He, we can't see him. He's not here. Well, what did the Protestant Americans say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They gave glory to God. Whenever the wife of one of the astronauts asked, what's the chance that my husband will get back? 50-50. She said, good enough. Because she knew the entire nation. Robert Kennedy had been killed. Martin Luther King had been killed. 68 was a very, the Democratic National Campaign, or, um, right, camp, um, yeah. Chicago, what happened? Chaos, death, destruction. 68 was very bad. One person went up to the airports shortly after that, after he came back and said, you saved 1968. 1968 would have been a, a horrible year but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They shifted the focus. They didn't realize it, but in God and his providence, the burn to get out of trans-earth orbit to get to the moon was halfway. They had to burn longer than they expected because they didn't have enough thrust. Could you just put this mic on? They didn't think, there was a 50-50 chance, they weren't even going to make it to the moon because the burn wasn't successful. 
They took a risk. They didn't even take a lunar lander with them because they said, we got to do something because the Russians have already orbited the moon with two landing craft. But whenever, they're, uh, whenever they came back into Earth entry, nobody could have survived the entry temperatures in the capsule. The Russians weren't yet to that ability. The Americans said, we got to try. And so they just skipped a couple of planned launches, and they just took eight, they took it to the moon. When they got to the moon, there were people in mission control praying that something would happen, that God would intervene somehow, because they didn't know if they were going to actually come around or they're just going to keep going out in a deep space. And so they were praying, different ones in mission control, at their consoles, and they said, guys, we got to, this is serious. What can we do? We can pray. Now, that's not what everybody said, but that's what some of them did. And they were mission control. This is Houston calling Apollo. Houston, they knew how long it was going to take for them to go in the dead earth zone, the dead, the silent zone, loss of signal. When they got around to the other side, go ahead, Houston, this is Apollo. There was rejoicing in mission control because they knew the burn had been successful and they were orbiting the moon. It, we didn't realize that the American public did not. We just thought, yep, they're going there and coming back. It was a huge risk. And then they took all these pictures, and they're just like kids at candy store, or now you're online, like, wow, look at that. They were so fascinated by the lunar surface. It was so beautifully barren, but it was so beautiful. And then whenever they did that last burn to get they didn't know if it was going to work. And so they went back, and then the big thing was, how is it going to work to go through the Earth's atmosphere? And they didn't know. Houston kept calling. And finally, they says, go ahead, Houston, we hear you. Another round of rejoicing in mission control because it worked. They came back safely. And so 10, they did a rendezvous around the moon. And 11, they landed on the moon. The guys were blue almost because they were running out of fuel and the lander still wasn't on the moon. And they finally touched down. God used mankind to honor him. Whenever they landed, the earth, the moon's surface is solid. The, the um, evolutionists, you're going to go through six feet of dust. It was only, it's, it's firm. You look at the lunar footprints, they only go down a couple inches. That doesn't add up with evolutionary time. Whoops. So all of these things, God had used these things. There are still people today, they are flooding the web with misinformation. They didn't go to the moon. I feel sorry for those folks. They don't see the power of God. The power of God is all about love organization, working together. If mission control would have had a gripe against each other, these guys wouldn't have had a chance. But they work together. And we as a church, can we can work together. Let's have prayer. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time of the year. We can go back to 1968 and see your hand working through mankind. Father, every time there was a question, there were people in mission control praying earnestly that you would intervene and father even though what man did probably wasn't enough you made it enough and so father we ask this morning as we open your word that you would take these feeble words and you would make it enough to set us on that course to home
to your heavenly home. Be with us now as we read, read your word. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. It's an interesting passage, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. David was doing what everybody thought was perfectly okay. What was Abraham's biggest fear when he went to Egypt? He was afraid that his beautiful, gorgeous wife, Sarah, Sarai, was going to be taken as a wife by one of the kings, and David, or Abraham was going to be dismissed out of this world. Why did Abraham tell his wife to say, you're my sister? Because she was a beautiful woman, and he was afraid that Pharaoh was going to take his wife. And so Sarah's like, that's not true. Well, you are my half-sister, but that's not right. But we got to do this. God's plan for Abraham was for him to have a child through Sarah. And, you know, if the child doesn't come, oh, well, God promised it will happen. So just, you know, keep, keep going, keep trying, whatever. Enjoy, because God has made a promise. Just keep on that trajectory. No, God, I got to do this. no. Get back on track. And so you have the situation whenever the Pharaoh finally saw God is blessing you. Why are you running from your God? Get out of here. Take your wife. I don't want her. She's beautiful, but I don't want her because your God's protecting her. Abraham got a picture of it. God put him back on course. The course was God would send a child through Sarah. He messed up again. And so God says, okay, I'm going to take something very personal away from you, but you're going to remember now, you need to remember that your son is going to be buried, married, or is going to be born through this woman right here named Sarah. Okay, so he got it. So they did have a child, and they called his name Laughter because it's amazing that God would do all this for this child. So David comes along and says, oh, look at Bathsheba. Boy, you ever think of her name, Bathsheba? She was taking a bath and like, whoa. And Nathan comes to him and says, you the man. You're the man that caused the trouble. Do you realize what you're doing is going to drag down this nation? And David says, Seriously. Oh, Lord, I am so sorry. He repents of his sin. But it took Nathan's courage to stand against him. You go fast forward to Christ. What was Christ's most cherished thing that he had? Not his robe. You know, everybody's got to have clothes. God said in the beginning, you got to wear clothes. Everybody had to have shoes. What was Christ's most cherished possession? It was his father's honor. If you look at John chapter 17, in John chapter 17, Jesus goes through it so many times. Bring glory to your name. Glorify your son. Honor. And if you, it's really interesting. If you like words, just do a word count in John chapter 17. How many times does Jesus use the word give or some variety of the word give? A bunch. You know, just in the verse 2 and 3, give, given, um, and then there's another word, glorify, and sanctify. Jesus is all about giving the honor to his Father. It wasn't about 
little old him. Even though he was the creator of the universe, it wasn't him. And so they could do anything to him. And he's like, praise the Lord. God is working through me still. God used Christ to reveal his loving character. What is Christ's most cherished possession on this earth today? His church. If you touch his church, you're touching him. He doesn't like it when you touch his church. He's going to protect his church. Since I had my gallbladder taken out a few weeks ago, I don't know, anybody ever have their, you know, anybody missing a gallbladder that your dreams just go out of control? Every night is just like this, I can't believe that one. It's just around, it's like you ate too late every night and then you dream because your stomach is trying to churn and process all this. It's just amazing. One night, I dreamt, just this last week, that I was back at the college and they were giving out pizzas because it was the beginning of the semester. And so I was like, oh, I want pizza. And they were throwing them all over. So I picked one off the floor and I was eating the pizza. But the pizza had meat on it. I'm like, I don't want meat. And so I ate around it. Well, there's this one person there. Ooh, you're eating meat pizza. I'm like, no, I'm not. The pizza has meat, but I'm not eating the meat. And I'm like, again, this is the gallbladder talking, you know, but there's a principle in this. In the process of this, this person was just blasting me because I was eating a pizza with meat on it. And then the pizza turned into an animal. And I'm eating the, ooh, I don't want to eat this animal. So I throw it away trying to get rid of it. And the animal is now blinking its eyes and looking around. And it's got deer horns. And I'm like, it was a pizza. (laughs) Do you see how a story can develop? Oh, I heard this about this. Oh, I heard this about this. It started off with a cheese pizza laying on the ground, and I just wanted a piece of pizza. And now it's a dead animal, so I throw it away in the garbage can, and the bag is moving, and all of a sudden, I'm like, this is weird. And I wake up, I'm like, Lord, I just wanted a pizza. (laughs) Do you see how misinformation goes boom? Somebody's accusing me of eating an animal. I I was eating a pizza. Misinformation is very dangerous. This week, we got an email from FedEx. Remember that, Bethany? Bethany's like, there's an email in our mailbox, and it's it's from FedEx. And and so I'm like, okay, I'll look at it. Well, I hover over the link, and it's taken to me. It's not going to FedEx. It's a tracking number, and you hover over, and down the bottom, the URL is right there. And you're like, oh, it's just going to hyperlink me right here. I don't want to go there. And so I look at the return address. I showed it to Chris. I look at because she worked at UPS. And it's like, look at this. This is weird. It's Dan at some place. That's not FedEx. It looked like a FedEx email. It's dangerous. Whenever you look at something, you think it's something, and then you click on it, and now you got a virus. Does Satan use viruses in our minds? Bethany, come here. I need you to help me do something. Does Satan use things that are viruses to infect us, to manipulate us? Did Adam and Eve have a problem that way? Okay. Craig, I need the mic back on here. This was delivered by the United States Postal Service, okay? You're the post office person. You're going to bring me this box. So knock, knock. And so here's my box from the United States Post Office. Oh, good. I've been waiting for this. Thank you. See ya. Now, hang on a second. Now, I'm going to give my wife a Christmas present. 
Do you see how your rat is pretty? Do you see Ditto. Isn't that nice? Didn't you want... What are you doing? Okay. The principle in that story right there. Go back. Whenever she gave me the gift, did she, she's, a, she's a United States, she's a pretty pro, United States post office worker. I'm expecting this, tracking it online for weeks. I should have been on the same. We could have got on the camera. Do it again. I should have. When I was looking online for this pack, waiting, Sandy knows. I waited on this I get the package. I say, praise the Lord, because my package has arrived, right? But I give my wife a package, and she steps on it. Now, whenever I stepped on the package, post office gave me. Did it hurt her feelings? Why not? She's the delivery person. My beautifully wrapped box and she steps on it. Does that hurt my feelings? Why? Because her. That relationship between us is what hurt. You're tied to somebody emotionally person, attractive as they may be or as a friend they, they may be, it's just a box that you've ordered from me. Because the connection with him is business. But the connection between my wife and myself, there's emotional bonding there. And she just ripped out the package. I saved thousands of dollars for that virtual package there. And she just stepped on it, and now it's a piece of junk. It's going to go in the garbage can. What's the difference? It's your filter. Your relationship with the person determines the response. If the relationship with the person is just business, no big deal. But if your relationship with the person is personal, if you're intertwined in their lives, it's devastating. Who was Christ's filter? Christ's filter was his heavenly father. Everything went to his heavenly father, and his father says, okay, no worries. I love you. I love you, Jesus, because you are doing this. I want these people, I want my people to see that I love you and I want to love you just as much as you love me. He wants that connection between us and him, not the people around us, whether it's our wife, our children, our parents, whoever. He wants us to have a vertical relationship first. And then the vertical relationship goes up and then comes back down to the other person. And it's stronger than if it's between one and one. Because if it's just one and one, Satan will find his way in there. And he will do this to you and he'll be like, oh, Lord, he'll destroy you. But if your relationship was with your heavenly father, he'll say, no worries, I got this one covered. I saw this one coming. 
when a person tells us that's just the way I am, you're just going to have to live with it. They've given up on themselves as a human being that Christ can save from destruction. They're completely throwing away their salvation. They're buying into the enemy's lie of complete hopelessness, and God cannot bless them. Seriously, God can't help you. He helped David. Look at the horrible things that Hezekiah's son did. What was his name? Manasseh. The horrible things that he did. And at the end of his life, he's like, oh, praise the Lord. He brought me out of the pit. God is so, John, if we cannot take John 3.16 and apply it to ourselves, we're missing something. The reason for this season is, not, is Jesus. But why did Jesus come? Not to make a big show. He came here so he could bless us. He could have that commitment, committed relationship that we can have that vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. Back at Thanksgiving time, we were, every year, the, I think it's the Sabbath before Thanksgiving, they open up Sirius XM, and you can hear all the different channels. It's kind of neat. And so we were listening to, we don't get it, but we were getting um, the Christmas channel, the Hallmark channel, was it? And it's just all these old Nat King Cole, all these beautiful old songs, and it's crystal clear, and you can drive anywhere in the United States, and you can get it. It's beautiful. It's a vertical relationship. If you're listening to any, any of our Strong Tower radio stations, you drive out of the coverage area. Boy, it'd be nice to be on Cirrus XM. But you're on Cirrus XM and you're going anywhere in the United States and you're getting, Sam, is that right? You get, you get Cirrus? You're listening to the same feed all across the country because of the vertical relationship. It's not from tower to tower usually. Now, sometimes they do. But typically, it's a vertical relationship down. And so nobody can interfere with your connection because it's vertical. God wants us to have that relationship with him. And, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 really puts life into perspective. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. If something doesn't look right, ask the Lord, is this right? Is this true? And then trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. He will give you that vertical GPS. Been, you know, I resisted getting a GPS for a long time because I'm like, I can get there. But I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier finding my way now with that little GPS there. Bethany is my GPS. I just said, okay, where do we go? And she takes, she know, once we go there, she knows where we're at. Me? Mm. God wants to help us. But if you're driving down the road and you told the GPS to go here, and you say, no, I know it. My way is better recalculating God's going to recalculate the Holy Spirit's going to say okay let's get back on track recalculating Abraham he goes to Egypt he's like let's do it this way God says okay recalculating okay let's do this no recalculating he brings in Hagar no recalculating finally Isaac is born okay now we got Isaac now he works with Isaac recalculate recalculate God is always working on that recalculating he's working with us I love the text in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. It's the last text, last verse in Romans chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 33 is like 
is summarizing to me the whole story of Job chapter 38, verse 40, when God says, Job, where were you, bub? Where were you when this morning stars sang together? Where were you when all these things? Job, where were you? I must have missed you because apparently you know you are the end of all knowledge, Job. Come on. Where were you? God's giving Job a hard time because Job is giving God a hard time. And God recalculates and says, Job, where were you? Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Look what God has done. For who has known the mind of God? Or who, I love this part, who is God's counselor? Oh, hey God, I got a good idea. Who said that? Lucifer. Lord, Lord, I, I got a plan. You know, this whole thing with creation of earth, I got a plan. I got, sorry, um, we know what we're doing here, Lucifer. We already, we got a whole plan already arranged. No, but I got, a, I got an idea. I'm sorry, we, we've got it covered. Who's God's cancer? Or who has given to him and it shall be? Lucifer's like, hey, I'll give you my guys if you let me in there. No. Then verse 33. For of him, of God, and through him, God, and to him. So of, through, and to him are what? All things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. In our technical society today, I forgot my phone this morning. I've got an iPhone 4. Aren't you proud of me? Come on, what's wrong with the 4? <laughs> you know, we got a security system, and I go to load the app, it doesn't work. And I go to do something, it doesn't work. I think I'm going to have to get a 5 or something. No, huh? But in today's technical, in our society today, I dare you to t- ask Siri what 100 divided by 0 is. What does she say? What did she say last night, guys? She had a lot to say. It's like, you're expecting me to do that? This Take 100 things and then divide them by zero. How does that work? If you want to summarize what sin is, take 100 and divide it by zero. It doesn't work in God's world. Why? Because the operating of, of heaven, the operating system of heaven is L-O-V-E. If you had a phone... You know, I, I love experimenting with different computers. And to me, I, you know, I, I'm curious about the Linux operating system. And so far, the word Ubuntu means you have to boot it again. Because it just, you load something and you got to reboot it. And it does, it's, it, I haven't got it tweaked yet. But it just keeps, I kept, kept, keep having to reboot the silly thing. In God's perfect operating system, it was compiled at the cross. There was not one flaw written in God's code. Satan tried every angle, every... The code of heaven is basically the sanctuary system. If you look at the sanctuary system, you say, here is God's remedy for sin. He will take... Jesus will say, I am the one who can define what sin... I will accept the responsibility of sin. Somebody had to be the sin bearer. Jesus says, I will do it. I will take the responsibility for 100 divided by zero. Anybody says 100 divided by zero, come to me. I will be the one. Even though it's completely impossible, there is no reason for sin to exist. Jesus says, I'll be the one. I will be the man. So in today's technical terms, the operating system for salvation is defined in the Old Testament. In all the stories we see, 
Time and time again, God has to recalculate. He has to bring the people back to the point that says God's in control. We did it in the Sabbath school this morning, Ezra and Nehemiah. They're marrying all these wonderful people around there, but they forgot one thing, have family worship. They're forgetting to put God at the center. The problem wasn't necessarily with them marrying somebody. It's they were bringing in these elements into their home that God says that's not the way it's supposed to be. They weren't even going through an official marriage ceremony. They're just kind of doing it. And God says no, and especially the leaders. If the leadership gives a false interpretation of God's character, what does the membership have to look at? They've got, we've got a leadership has to bear the responsibility. So whenever Christ was resurrected, he released the, his operating system of salvation called love to the world, and now it's open source. Everybody can have the gospel. The gospel, Paul was teaching it, Peter was teaching it to the Jews, Paul was teaching it to the Gentiles. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the world. They did that, and in one generation, the gospel went to the entire world. The gospel message is love. It's not about fault-finding. Jesus said, "I look at John 3, 17. Look at it really quick. What does he say there? John chapter 3 and verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Ooh, that's not a good word. Who is the one that condemns? Ain't Jesus, sorry. It is not Jesus. Jesus is not the condemner. If there's condemnation, is that of the Lord? Now, there are times, but Jesus didn't come to this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's operating system is love, genuineness, peace, joy, long-suffering. Look at the verses before that. That's not love. The law of God is love, and to love him first and love our neighbor as ourself. And if your neighbor sins against you, forgive him. Pray for their silly head because the devil's in there. And it's not the person is the embodiment of the devil, but they've got, a, they've got a firewall open in their brain that says, I will let, you know, they've clicked on one of those nasty FedEx emails. It ain't working. That's Satan's inroads bring bitterness. So what is worship? What is church? Here's a clue. What songs are going through your head? What images do you cherish in your mind? For me, this past week, and I don't know why, but it's just been a blessing. There's been a song that's been going through my mind all the time. Just like when we bought the building, there was a song from 2000 General Conference session, He'll Do It Again. This week, it's been Love Found a Way by Danny Shelton. If you ever hear the words to that song, Love Found a Way, it's a very beautiful sound. It's a very beautiful song. All the way through it, God is looking through the whole universe. He's looking through all these things, and he finds love. He finds the one way he can save mankind is through love manifested in Christ. I know personally I'm in trouble if a song that glorifies God is not running through my mind. And with me, it's the same song over. I love it. I just, you know, now with kids, if they want to watch it, um, was Looney Tunes? They want to watch it over and over and over again. Okay, it's funny the once, but how many times can you watch a cat get killed on the Looney Tunes? And you're like, that's funny. No, it's, it's done. Satan wants that. 
If we bless God, if we praise God in our hearts, it'll be a blessing to him. Do your thoughts honor your creator or are you secretly bowing down to an idol? Ezekiel saw that. He went into the temple and there's all the leaders of the church right there in the temple and they had their backs turned to the altar and they were bowing to the sun. And then he saw more layers like, they're doing that in the church? Seriously? That's an abomination. What they're doing is horrible. Funny story. This is going back to Decatur. Back in the 60s, I think it was. Black and white TVs, all this stuff. There was a guy sitting in his living room, watching TV. Now, back then, you didn't have, the only remote control was, hey, kid, go change the channel. You know, it was like there was no remote control. So he was sitting there flipping the channels. All of a sudden, he saw the static, but he heard some voices. He's like, well, that's interesting. I wonder what I'm picking up. So he turns it a little bit. He's like, oh, I know those guys. Those guys go to my church. Those are my church there in Decatur. He heard the conversation. He's like, oh, they're talking about somebody. Oh, I wonder who they're talking about. They're talking about me. He heard them on his TV set. This was told to me by one of the elders there. He's like, I never figured out how I... There was a telephone conversation going on, and somehow it was being broadcast, and he was picking it up on his TV set. He heard the whole thing. Doesn't God work in marvelous ways? He was able to deal with something. There was something going on. He's like, guys, we need to talk about something. How'd you know? I heard you. How'd you hear me? my TV said no yeah we need to talk God has ways of finding things out do you realize in the scriptures the first word the first time the word church is used is Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 wow that's inspiring isn't it look at it Matthew 16 verse 18 what is it talking about so Jesus Matthew 16 verse 18 and I say to you that you, Peter, are, and on this rock I will build my church. What do we always focus on? The word rock. Look at the word church. What does the word church mean? Is it a building with four walls and a fire system and smoke learning, you know, wonderful sound system? And, you know, they can, they can put out sound that it's over 120 decibels and they got this fabulous light show and all this stuff. Is that what a church is? Sounds like a rock concert. What is a church? It's a fellowship, it's a religious assembly of people to honor God. Like we saw in the Sabbath school, thank you, Michelle, the video this morning. The video showed a church. To us, it looked like a very poorly built something. It was a church. It was a meeting place for fellow believers. Angels of heaven revere that land. They protect that land because... People come there to honor God. So, why are they assembled? To honor God. What does your church look like? You know, you close your eyes. What does your church look like? It's not the color of the pews. It's not the color of the carpet. It's When I walk into my church in Decatur, I close my eyes. The first thing that hits me is the smell of the beautiful wood. That's not church. Church is an assembly of people that are honoring God. If the people are not honoring God, if they're dishonoring God, it's not church anymore. Why are they assembled? What does the church look like? Does your church honor God? Your church, your vision of church, does it honor God? Or is your church 
blasting. Leave that sentence unfinished. Does your church honor God in ultimate, his ultimate sacrifice? In prophecy, the word church is represented by two women. You've studied prophecy. They're both very beautiful women, but they have different intentions. Jacob waited for his wife for seven years, and then he was tricked. Don't know how that one happened. He was tricked. And then he worked seven more years for his wife. Jesus has been waiting how many years since Adam and Eve fell? How many years has he been waiting? A day for a year, kind of? I don't know, 6,000 years? He's been waiting a long time for his bride. Do you think he's waiting? He's kind of like, let's get this going? He's patient. He loves her and he's willing. Love is willing to wait if our kid, if I could go back and talk to myself and talk to my kid, the kids who are in my Sabbath school classes and impress upon them, love is willing to wait. How much better would all of our lives have been? Go back all the way to our great grandparents and you know, love is willing to wait. Look at Christ; He is willing to wait. God designed our bodies in marvelous ways, but love is willing to wait. Jacob waited seven years, and he served another. Jesus has been waiting, and he'll continue to wait because he knows at the end his love will be there. God's sole desire is that we let him cleanse us. There was a time, my my boys, I love to pick on them up here. They're like, Dad. We have a pit, not pit, but there's an area where Bethany's brothers, they dig a little bit to get some extra dirt for fill or whatever, and so the hole gets a bit deeper and deeper. And I won't talk about what the cats do there, but the boys love to dig in that area. And there have been times in the summertime where like, guys, we're going to hose you down before you go in the house, right? No, Dad, we just want to go in the house. You're filthy. Ever hear that, guys? You're filthy. <laughs> Any of you kids ever get muddy? I know whenever I was, how old was I? I wish my mom was here. She would love the story. I was two years old, and we lived in Chicago area. My mom and dad just built this house, and there was this ditch in front of our house, and it had rained. And so what does a little guy love to do in a ditch? Play in the water. Or when we were older, we, our streets in the town we lived in, in central Illinois, had um, the oil and the chip seal and all that stuff. And what does the road do in the summertime, moms? The oil, the oil bubbles up. And the kids sit there and pop the bubbles. You ever try and clean the pants of a kid that's had been sitting? Jill's shaking her head on. <laughs> you haven't dealt it. It is amazing how much effort it takes to clean the clothes. Or you, at some point, okay, those are your dirty clothes now. <laughs> oil just gets into everything. Sin gets into everything. If we sit there in our sin and we just enjoy pushing buttons. Oh, I'm having fun. I'm pushing buttons, Daniel, right? We're all, we love to push other people's buttons. And I'm not pointing at my son because I push my sister's buttons so hard if she's watching, sorry. (laughs) If we love to push other people's buttons for our enjoyment and entertainment, you don't have the operating system of heaven called love in you and you need to get reformatted. Bath time with muddy boys and pets. Anybody ever try to wash a cat? <laughs> if Christ came to you and says, you have some sins you need to clean up, 
are you going to be like a cat and say, uh-uh? Or are you going to be like the, the, the kids, like, okay, Mom, you're right, because Mom said, hey, guys, after we get you all cleaned up, you can have lunch, and we got a special treat for you. It's not a bribe, it's just a reward. God, whenever Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son came back, and the dad didn't send him to the car wash to clean him off. He put a robe around him and said, we'll take care of that later. I'm glad you're home. God is not about evicting people from the church. God is about including them. They're hurting. The church is a hospital. I thought a couple weeks ago I was going to have to go back to the hospital because the cellulitis was starting to do its thing again. Bethany took care of me, and I'm good for now. God will work with us. He wants to clean us up, but if we don't let him clean us up, if you go to the hospital and they say, we need to give you the shot, nope, I don't do shots. Oh, we need to give you this medicine. Nope, don't do medicine. If you're going to be a stubborn person, <laughs> thinking Balaam, if you're going to be stubborn about something, God says, I can't do nothing with you. But if you're willing to wash them, we don't take babies to the car wash and spray them off. We're gentle. Why would we as a church use a car wash or even worse, a fire hose to take a little bit of a mud stain off somebody and leave a huge, long-lasting, personal, destructive wound? Why would we do that? Is, it wor- Is that what Jesus did? John three seventeen. I didn't come to condemn. I came to show you God's love. At Christmas time, many people say Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay. That's kind of, you know, crater all. Look at John 3.16. You are the reason for the season. You are the reason that Christ came to this earth. Christ came so that one would be saved. If you can't see that, look at it again. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. If you can't fall asleep at night... If you have trouble, if the enemy is flooding your minds with whatever, go back to the cross. Go back before the cross. Look at what Jesus did. Every time there was a personal insult thrown at Jesus from Gethsemane to the cross, how did he react? Did he react with violence? Or did he say, Father, forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. It's not who's on what side. Are you on God's side? Are you willing to be included in this God's operating system of love? Are you willing to let that love shine through you? Because the devil is going to throw everything at us again. He hates his church. He hates every believer because he sees them as trying to take away his ability to hurt God. God wants to bring unity, love, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering, patience, all these things. That's That's how the angels are. How would we live in heaven like this? Not going to work too well. Jesus came to this earth to save us from our cherished pet sins. Will you let him have those things? To say, Lord, it's a busted up box. That's all I can give you. He's like, I'll be, that's a cherished item. He would put that in a museum and said, he gave this to me. He was willing to surrender this. It's all about surrendering. Whenever the kids need a bath, if the kids fuss and fuss and fuss, it takes a long time to give them that bath, but finally they realize this isn't working. Okay. And then everybody's clean again. Everybody's happy. Mark Twain, Doug Batch was saying, um, two people don't, there's two people that don't like being changed, a stubborn person and a baby, but they both need to be changed. <laughs> Babies don't like it sometimes, but they still need to be changed. Will we let them? Only Christ can free us from the power of the devil. But we, you, have the ability to let him. 
if we're willing to let him change us. And the change is not go from A to Z, learn coding in 30 minutes. Really? That's not the nature of God. You got these little ones. Do they have their driver's license yet? No. They're not to that level. God's taking us where we are, moving us up. All the world is focusing on Christ and the Christmas. Are we focusing on Christ? Are we focusing on the love of Christ? Are we focusing on the faults of others? If we're focusing on faults, we've lost our our focus on Christ. We need to put Christ at the center. Make him our God. Make him the object of our worship. And by doing that, he will give us peace and he'll help us fix all these other situations. But we got to let him do that. So he's looking at us and he's saying, you the man, what are you going to do? Our closing song is number 115, and I forget what it was, but it's number 115. 125, sorry, 125. 